Hello, this is Stephen Keeler. Welcome back to my podcast, The Art and Science of Transformation. Today we're going to continue on reading my best-selling book, Leap, But How Will I Live, Eat, or Pay for Gas? And as always, you can connect with me at www.stephenkeeler.com if you'd like training or uh, personal sessions or if you have questions or comments. Chapter 14, Discovering Great-Grandfather, May 5th, 2004. Should I stay or should I go? Before I moved to Hawaii in April of 2003, I'd shipped a bunch of boxes of various items. One of the reasons I came here in the first place was to organize and facilitate workshops. So one of the boxes was filled with notebooks and other materials that I thought I'd need. I'll soon be traveling to Hungary to see Natalia. As if seeing her and the birthplace of some of my ancestors isn't enough, Natalia has also arranged for me to present my ideas about the psychology of energy, the work of Virginia Satir, and how it all ties into following our life force, spirit, or God. This morning I decided it's time to look through the box of workshop stuff, and I find in review notes that would be helpful for my upcoming presentations in Hungary. I'm looking forward to the trip, especially the part where I get to visit Natalia, but I've been lamenting how much it will cost, the fact that I'd never been to Europe, and the idea of a possible long-distance relationship with someone whom I hardly know. It all seems a little crazy, to be quite frank, so I'm a little ambivalent at this point. As I sort through the box of papers and notebooks, I make a stack of pertinent information to be reviewed and incorporated into my experiential lectures. I do this instead of delivering a static lecture in which the audience stagnates and falls asleep. I get people off their butts, have them move around, and experience themselves and others. This takes a lot more planning than a conventional lecture. I look through everything in my workshop box, but something's missing. I decide to go through the loose stack of papers again. I reach randomly into the middle of the stack, hoping to find the one piece I'm looking for. It's the same technique I use when I randomly open a book and discover a deeply profound message. And what do I find? A photocopy of the successful petition for naturalization and immigration for my great-grandfather, Peter, who moved to the U.S. from Hungary in April of 1921. I'd never seen this before, and I don't know how it has gotten into my workshop box. Tears are streaming down my face as I read the document. I also found an account of Peter's life, written by my Uncle Johnny, Peter's eldest son, and another account by one of Peter's daughters who doesn't identify herself. Between the three documents, I'm able to learn that he left his wife, Pauline, who was pregnant with Johnny, my uncle, to come to America to find a better, a better life for his family. Pauline was not allowed to come until after the birth of Johnny. If I had any doubts about whether I'm supposed to go to Hungary or not, I have none now. How did these papers get into this stack after I had just looked through them? I had gone through every single page. Why are they in this box that I had packed a year and a half ago? They should be in storage on the mainland along with all the other information about my ancestors. I realize I don't know how much I don't know much about my great grandfather or where he was born. On the internet I search for some mention of the town Kisterenya 
in Hungary, so I can see its proximity to Budapest, where I'll be staying with Natalia. There's no such town. I check another search engine, another site, nothing. I can't find it anywhere. I've got to find where this town is, though. I look back at the papers I'd found, and I see a map with two towns circled, the towns where Peter and my great-grandmother had been born. And I swear that that map wasn't there a minute ago. Kisterenya is near Budapest, so I shouldn't have any trouble finding the area, even if it's not on the map anymore. And Sonad, where great-grandmother Pauline was born, is now in Serbia. I may go there, too, if Natalia tells me it's safe. Wow, what wonderful synchronicity. This is not a mere coincidence. I finally met someone who I'm falling in love with, who happens to be from Hungary. I'm soon to be traveling there to see her. I'll present my work to colleagues. I'll find the birthplaces of some of my ancestors. When I started to have some doubts about going to Hungary, Spirit provided a much-needed confidence booster. I feel as though now, more than ever, we really are one connected web. When I am swimming in the Pacific Ocean here in Hawaii, what I do affects others when they are in the same ocean 3,000 miles from here, and what they do affects me. We are all connected, as though we are all in the same container, which, of course, we are. And it almost seems silly to worry and doubt, since spirit usually reaches out a helping hand in some unimaginable way. May 6, 2004. In God we trust. It's on our money. It's what our forefathers did. It's what my great-grandfather and grandfather and father did. And now I'm being called to the new world, just as they were. When I say it's what our forefathers, great-grandfathers, etc. did, what I mean is that they left and set out for uncharted territory without, quote, knowing all the information they might need ahead of time. Consider this. When our country's forefathers left for the New World, did they have a frickin' clue what they were going to? No. Were they stupid? Were they delinquents? No. They must have trusted something bigger than their worrying, doubting minds. They had to have trusted the magnificent resource of the unknown, the, re, the, the magnificent resources of the unknown, their idea of spirit or God. The bells are ringing. The time is now. The new world is about light, about allowing spirit to be in charge, about following what we know is our right path and doing so fiercely. And if you or I need encouragement, well, there's a precedent. Our founding fathers proved that spirit that following spirit worked, and they started a whole country based on a different set of ideals. People are doing it every day. Look for them. Search for ways to confirm what your soul already knows. When you follow your spirit, there is nothing that is impossible. May 10, 2004. Checks in the mail. In the last 24 hours, I've been feeling the pangs of not having enough money, especially after paying my bills. This morning, I say to Rosalani, my project manager, I sure could use some money. My savings are going down, down, down. Is there a way to generate some money from one of the projects we're working on? She says, calmly and politely, no, not yet. Okay, I can survive for a while longer, I guess, but I don't want to 
just survive. I wanted to experience the support of the universe, of all that is, of God. On the way home, I stop at the post box, and what do I find in my mailbox? An unexpected check for $1,200. A coincidence? No, don't miss the significance. I said I wanted some support, and there it was, from a source that was unknown to me. It's as though Spirit is saying, ask for what you want and know that it comes. The unexpected part is very important. You see, the mind cannot possibly figure this out. I could worry myself sick about my lack of money if I stay in my mind. No, I've got to continue to put my intent out there and let go and joyfully anticipate and look for how it comes because I keep seeing that it always does. Just think, if we begin to believe that what we ask for is what we get, the possibilities are endless. We just don't get to know the how and the when, which is still a little unnerving to me. May 11, 2004, Learning About Love As I'm sitting here in the sun, tears of doubt, confusion, and disappointment welling in my eyes, a hawk flew across my visual field. This brought more tears as I recalled what I had been taught by Native American elders, that when a hawk crosses your path, it means that you are going to have a safe journey. And I'd been doubting again and even made matters worse by acting in, in a disrespectful way. In the last month, I think I have experienced more love than I've ever had in my life. I've been touched by love, by the love of three different women, Holly, Jane, and Natalia. I'd met Holly through some friends. She was visiting from Holland. Jane was also a friend of a friend, and of course, Natalia from Hungary. I'd met them all about the same time and fell, felt love for all of them. So I've been wrestling with, how do you do this? How can I share love with three different women? This goes against all the conventions that I grew up with, right? In my conversations with Holly, I'd avoided discussing Natalia. Part of this was perhaps unconscious, but I know that another part was an acknowledgement of fear. Fear that it couldn't be possible that I could be so loved and wanted. Fear that if I were completely honest, I would somehow be hurt and lose some of this amazing abundance. Honesty, of course, honors the spiritual path, but fear and lack of integrity dishonor spirit. Today, Holly called from Holland, and my dishonesty propelled me into a life-changing experience. I'd emailed her the details about my great-grandfather's origins in Hungary, and I'd explained that I was planning to travel to Hungary and stay with Natalia in Budapest. You see, in my heart of hearts, I'd hoped that there would be a way to maintain all of this love. But I didn't hear this in Holly's voice. She said, I'm upset that you haven't told me all the details about Natalia in Hungary. I didn't think that I I didn't think I had to choose you or her just yet, I said defensively. I mean, I haven't made any decisions about anyone yet, and I really don't even want to, I continued. Then I let go of my defensive posture because she was so lovingly well, right. I hadn't been totally open because I was afraid to be. Holly said, But you see, my love, not being open is fear, not love. Fear is the opposite of love. Then she added, And I try not to have people that do this in my circle. It brings me down. 
She wished me love and said goodbye. Click. Ouch, that was a wrenching hurt. I'm disappointed in myself, but this was a blind spot for me. I hurt someone who I was beginning to care deeply for, and I disrespected who I am and who we all are, God. I had once again forgotten that I cannot fail as long as I follow spirit instead of my fear. By letting fear and doubt guide me, I actually created what I didn't want. But the hawk was my spiritual reassurance that all is well, that the journey is assured to be safe, and fear must not be in charge of the journey, even though I'd forgotten all of that once again. One more thing. I'd grown up with the idea that there's only one person who can be your true soulmate. My experience, though, has been different. I have never been able to understand how we can honor our spirit if, in the process of being with the, quote, one, we close ourselves to the love of others. This seems a strange way to love. Do we love the river by damming it up, or love the garden hose by kinking it, or have more light in our room by turning off the switch? Yes, I understand that rivers are different from people, but I am making an energetic point here. You don't get more of anything by stopping the natural flow. I want to support the idea that allowing more love into your life brings even more love. And in order to do so, one has to love oneself and be brave enough to be honest and in integrity. Incidentally, my other friend, Jane, loves and understands all this. She told me, there's no doubt that the free flow of life's energy enhances all. Both she and I knew that most likely we aren't the best match for each other, as she is 15 years younger than I am. And I feel that, of the three, I am most attracted to Natalia in Hungary. May 14, 2004. Budapest, H.U. As I get off the plane and ferry edge, hungry, I can barely contain myself. The energy of possibility surges through me. Could this be it? Have I finally found the right one to marry? I also feel the energy of coming home, coming home to the birthplace of my great-grandparents. Being here feels powerful and deep. I realize all of a sudden that I don't recognize any of the words on the signs or buildings. Wow, I hope Natalia's here somewhere to greet me. I, I realize I'd be totally lost on my own since I can't speak or comprehend any of the language here. In fact, looking at the words around me, the combinations of letters don't make any sense. As I present my passport to the officer, she asks me, in surprisingly good English, why I'm coming to Hungary. I say, I've come to visit the birthplace of my ancestors. To which she says, welcome home, with a genuine smile. When I pass through the sliding doors leading to the waiting area, I nervously look around until I spy Natalia. She is smiling and radiant, truly beautiful. We warmly embrace before she whisks me off to the city of Budapest. Here I am in a magnificent city built thousands of years before the USA was even dreamt of with a very beautiful woman who is interested in me in a country that was the birthplace of a quarter of my family. May 15, 2004, Budapest. When we awake this morning, Natalia has a full day lined up for us. 
city sites, castles, museums, and meals. Frankly, I'd rather stay home and make love all day and night, but she insists that I get to know my country. She also insists that I drive, saying, Kedvashem, this is a familiar word in Hungary, meaning sweetheart. You are the man, so you must drive. Hungarian culture is very strong, I learn, about the roles that men and women play in society. Even if the man has no money, for instance, the woman will pass it under the table to pay for meals. And yes, it is considered appropriate for the man to open the door, pull out her chair, stand up when she approaches the table, all the things I was taught as a young boy, but have been largely abandoned by my own culture. As we begin driving, the traffic is intense and there are lots of multi-lane roundabouts. As we enter the first one, Natalia says, the one thing you must remember is that in the city, the bus is king. I quickly see what she means as a bus cuts across three lanes of the crazy maze of turning cars. To make matters even more intense, for me as a first-time Hungarian driver, Natalia is confusing her English with Hungarian, <laughs> or maybe vice versa. <laughs> She'll tell me to turn right in Hungarian, but be pointing to the left. My translating ability is very poor at this point, and this makes for hair-raising situations in traffic, but somehow we managed to laugh about it as we are making our way around the beautiful city. May 18, 2004. A Castle Vision I've been in Budapest for four amazing, beautiful days now. At present, I'm sitting among the ruins of Budaivar, a castle from the 1400s. It feels very familiar. I'm not sure about other lifetimes, but I've been, but if I've had another lifetime, then I've been here before. All of a sudden, I feel I am back in the 1400s. As I gaze around the magnificent countryside, I imagine regiments of beautifully clad soldiers on horses, every sword polished, every hoof being in perfect time. I'm watching this procession as though I am a king, a certain or certainly someone in charge of the soldiers. These are men who have sworn to uphold the utmost dignity, honor, and respect for their country, which is also my country. This is their home, and they would die for it if I gave the command. We are not at war currently. This is of great pleasure to us, for we have seen what devastation a cruel war can bring and we want no part of an unjust war. We understand that our lives are important and the morning of this new day is precious with its sparkling sunshine warm on the green hills and the walls and buildings of this castle. This magnificent castle represents our most significant attempt to honor God with its beauty, its security, its very life force. In this way, we honor ourselves and God, for there is no difference at all between us and our God. Other people will disagree and eventually come to fight here to take our beloved homes from us in an attempt to honor what they believe is God. Yet, when a man loses his home or his arm or an eye, he cannot understand why God would have this happen. And this is precisely the point. God would not have this. Humans, forgetting they are God, 
create this, and yet many fight under a false pretense of honoring God. I believe this is the place where I once made a vow that my people would never fight for any other reason than to protect what we have now. We will not advance any cause by killing. We will only fight to protect our family's safety and to honor our sacred imperative of living and creating as God. Therefore, if we were to lose an arm or a leg or an eye, we would know that this was for a godly reason and not some political reason. And not because of the frail human mind, the part of us that literally thinks up fears which eat at our life force until we release them in some way, either to God through trust and faith or in a battle as in some sickness or combat. Think about the creation of this castle. We have created all of it. For as I sit here observing the great pageantry of my army, I could be sorrowing over some loss I have suffered or a mistake I've made. But instead, I have made the choice to focus on the grandness of my life and those around me and what we have created that is wonderful and alive. Each of us has within ourselves the power to create anything and everything we want including negativity, lack, sorrow, and anger. Just remember that if, if it does not bring your heart more joy and life force, it cannot be from God. For I will tell you that even in the heat of battle, allowing for mercy brings much more joy than piercing the heart of the, quote, enemy. The only real enemy is ourself. For when we do not look for the most life-giving opportunity in each moment, we become our own worst enemy. No other man can do this to me. Do not let this bring you down, since we have all been our own worst enemy in the past. But remember that a person's life is measured by how much more often one chooses mercy for himself rather than death. Choose life now. Look for it everywhere. Find many, many reasons to live joyfully rather than what the world has decided is best for you. Create your heaven as only would have it, fiercely, fearlessly, for the only possible failure is that you have not done so. Some people have argued with me and said, if it is only about joy, then I can do anything I want, even to harm or kill another. And I reply, does this really bring you joy? Most likely the answer to this is no. If the answer is yes, be prepared to do battle, and no matter how many lifetimes it takes, gaining your joy at the expense of another will never prevail. For darkness is always defeated by the light. I have been brought to this sacred castle to be given this vision to help me remember the significance of our creative power if we want a peaceful world, a cleaner world, a happier world, all we need to do is choose joy in everything, for the God in us cannot fail. May twentieth, two 2004. The planting and harvest are now together. It appears to me that the evidence and manifestation of light, of spirit being in charge, is quickening now more and more in my life. As I recalled that just prior to my trip here to Hungary, I was having dinner with some acquaintances at a friend's birthday party. We were in a luxurious home, enjoying 
the evening's gentle, warm breeze and the sunset. A woman, the wife of a doctor, was fascinated by my story of allowing spirit to create and manifest heaven on earth and teaching others to do the same. During our conversation, apropos of nothing in particular, she noted that because Hawaii has been having so much rain, there could be quite a mouse problem here. I looked down at her feet and said as calmly as I could that there was, in fact, a mouse at our feet. Was this a coincidence? She was amazed by the possibility that we had created this mouse just by speaking about mice. I remarked that this is how that this is how my experience of experiences have been, especially lately. Say what you intend and watch for the evidence because it's there just as the mouse was. It's as though the planting and the harvest have come together. May 21st, 2004, the energy of momentum. <clears throat> so today here in Budapest, I gave a five-hour experiential lecture to a group of 15 organizational psychologists. Natalia had arranged a very nice conference room, complete with refreshments and secretary. In the beginning of my workshops, I always ask for, the par for participant input regarding what they want and yearn for. When you boil down what most people yearn for, it is always related to freedom, love, abundance, health, making a contribution to the world, belonging, and or being adventurous. In addition, I always include my own goals since I view myself as part of the process. After listening to and refining their goals, I stated my goal. I intend to allow spirit to give the workshop with my mind's assistance. After the workshop was over, I mentally reviewed the day. I knew it had gone pretty well as most of the participants had attained their goals. I felt I too had accomplished my goal, but I also found that I was dwelling on the fact that during the workshop, I noticed that two of the male participants were looking sleepy and somewhat bored. And I began to indulge in some harsh self-criticism. Why couldn't I get, engage all the participants? What was happening with those two? What will people think of my work? I really began to let my mind run away with the criticism. Even worse, Natalia had made most of the arrangements for the workshop and I'd forgotten to provide a feedback form. So the participants would have to speak to her to provide feedback and then she would have to tell me that they all thought my work was shit. And then she would be disappointed in me and our relationship would suffer and she is one of the most respected human resource, human resource trainers in Hungary. When Natalia arrived to pick me up about 10 minutes later, she promptly told me that two people had already spoken with her about the workshop. I could feel my heart sink. Turns out the two who had responded so promptly were those two men who I thought were bored to tears, the ones that I'd just known in my mind anyway, would say my work was a waste of time. Ked Vashem, they both said the workshop was fantastic and they'd learned a lot. I was stunned. And then I felt as though Spirit was saying, you see, even when you doubt, there are signs to show the way. I immediately burst into tears. After I'd recovered from the shock and relief, another great thing happened. I asked myself out loud, out loud, why, oh why, do I keep doubting myself and spirit? 
How many times will it take for me to just know that I am spirit and therefore cannot fail? Natalia looked lovingly into my eyes and instead of supporting my negative view of myself said, maybe this is part of you. Maybe this is the part of you that pulls you forward to be closer to spirit. In other words, these doubts I have are not negative. They're not a negative character flaw or some anomaly left from my childhood. They are perfect and actually help me forward. Tears are streaming down my cheeks. It feels as though I have just acknowledged a very deep, strong, and powerful part of me. I know this is the truth. And what a blessing Natalia is. I'm so grateful for her support and love and belief in me. The workshop she arranged also helped me pay for my trip. I think it's essential to surround yourself with those people who encourage your light to shine brightly. More evidence in Budapest. One morning, we walked into our favorite cave house, which is Hungarian for coffee house, and discovered that all the seats were taken. While we were waiting in line, I said, I bet that the perfect table will be there after we make our purchases. And sure enough, after picking up our refreshments, we found the perfect sunny table open. A day or two or so later, one of the participants in my workshop asked me to continue working with him in Hungary. This request came soon after another round of doubts I'd had about whether what I have to offer is valuable and important to share. It also set the table for me to come back to Hungary and my sweetheart. Then just before the end of my visit, Natalia's mom called and wished me a safe flight home meaning that she actually liked me and took the time to make sure I knew I was important to her, even though she speaks no English. This is something that Natalia says her mother has never done before with her boyfriends. Natalia and I had totally fallen in love, and we wanted something symbolic to represent our magical connection. We had shared with each other that we wanted to allow the perfect set of promise rings to come into our presence. As we traveled around the Hungarian countryside, we occasionally saw nice rings in the shops we visited, but all the rings were the wrong size or there wasn't a matched pair available. But then on the last day of my visit, we went into a store in Eger and saw a ring that we both immediately liked a simple band of silver, but it looked as though they only had, they had only one. Upon asking, we discovered that they had a whole velvet bag full of exact matches in many different sizes. We excitedly tried on all of them, and I found one that fit me, but none to fit Natalia. Seeing what we were after, the storekeeper brought over the one on display, and voila, it fit Natalia. I mean, is this just another coincidence? Uh, that would be a no. May 25th, 2004. Sunset from a castle. My sweetheart Natalia and I are watching the sunset from the castle near her home in Budapest. It is our last night together before I'm scheduled to fly home to Hawaii, and we are having many emotions and questions. And after two weeks of steadily increasing love and intense life-changing experience, 
experiences we aren't ready to be apart ever. As we talk, I remember an incident from last month's end-of-life transition workshop in Hawaii where we'd met. The group leaders frequently closed their workshop sessions with the words, and so it is. Those words hadn't made much of an impact on me a month ago in Hawaii, but now in Budapest with Natalia, I realize what they mean. And so it is, is a message from Spirit, which says we can be confident that whatever we put our energy towards is ours. This is as certain as any other universal law. So as we speak to each other and try to keep our language in the precious present, saying, for example, we are together instead of we will be together, the phrase, and so it is, comes to me. In this way, we can purposefully direct our energy through our language to remind ourselves to align ourselves with the idea that what we want is already here now. And so it is means that when we say we are together, then it is so by law. The universe smiles when we ask and gives us exactly what it is we say, think, or believe, good or bad. My relationship with Natalia and all the amazing things that have led to and supported our relationship is such an exciting realization for me. Anything I can imagine and a thousand times more, as long as I believe. And so it is. When my mind says, yes, but you live in Hawaii and she lives in Hungary, how can this work? I need to realize that I'm pointing my powerful creative energy in the wrong direction. All Natalia and I have to do is know, believe, and act according to this. We are together, and so it is, and it is. We need to let our spirit create for us to enjoy, with no mindful worries or doubts or even silly reality checks. All I have to do is intend something and believe it will come, and it does. And so it is. Thanks for listening today. Looking forward to connecting with you next time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me sooner, email me at info at And until next time, keep yourself well.